May we turn, please, in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter. May I also just ask the question, how are you coming with your Bible reading? All right? You're keeping up, are you? If you get behind, let's catch up. And when I get back, I'll ask you again. We'll, I'll be reading mine every day while I'm out in India. And we'll move along together. Deuteronomy 18.18 I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Now may we turn please over to Acts chapter 7 verse 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. The angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our Father, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. When I returned in November from the Far East and our visit to our Korean orphans, I began to preach to you from the book of Deuteronomy. And I have been expounding this portion of the Holy Scripture ever since. And uh, I am going this week to Kerala, and I want you to pray for me because I'm going to give Deuteronomy to the Bible conference out there. And then when I return the month of February, which is our great stewardship month in our church, I also am going to deal with the book of Deuteronomy because you've got so much about tithing in it and all these lessons which are in Deuteronomy for us there. Uh, today I thought I would try to develop something out of Moses, which is very relevant to us in our pilgrimage, our journey. We are living in a day when we recognize that as a church we are part of a remnant. And we rejoice in the fellowship we have with other remnants in this country and in other countries. And we recognize that our unity with them is a unity which is in Christ which is spiritual and which is based wholly upon the Word of God. We also are emphasizing that we have communion with the saints in glory. There is a great company on the other shore. And in fact, there's more up there who've been members of this church in the years that we've been here through these years than there are sitting here now. 
One by one, we take our place on the other side, and the Lord calls us to hear him say, Well done. And we know that we have fellowship with the saints in glory. They look upon Christ by sight. We are down here, and we behold Christ by faith. But they live in Christ, and we live in Christ, and together we live. And we are conscious that of all the saints in every age, we are united in the blood and in the covenant that the Lord has given to us. Now what I would like to develop for you today, if I may, is something which will cut across the thinking of some people that aren't just exactly straight on some of these scriptural truths. But in this passage in Acts, there is a reference to the church in the wilderness. And the word used there is ecclesia. Same identical word that Paul uses and used all through the New Testament for the called out ones, the, the uh, church of our Lord. And furthermore, we're told that Moses spoke of Christ, but the Christ of whom he spoke was in the church in the wilderness. Moses predicted that God would raise up from among his brethren one something like Moses himself, and that they were to hearken unto this man. And then Stephen, in his great message, as he gives it here in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, gives the inspired and infallible identification. Moses was talking about Christ, the same Christ in whom you and I believe. And furthermore, Stephen tells us that this Christ of whom Moses spoke was actually in the midst of the people dwelling in the church that was in the wilderness. And what I would like to do is to develop this portion of the scripture that deals with the church and our relationship to the church in all these centuries. We have a glorious heritage and we have connections back there that can be a blessing to us today. As we know, our fellowship and the succession which is ours as citizens of this kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And what stands out in relationship to Moses in this connection is that Moses was saved by faith. He was the lawgiver, but the law didn't save him. Moses looked to this Christ, the same Christ to which we look, and he saw ahead and he saw in Christ the sacrifice which paid the penalty for the law which Moses delivered and which the people broke. And where Moses stood back there in that day, he looked forward to a cross which would atone for the sins that involved the breaking of the very law that he had delivered. 
And beloved, no matter where you stand in the great economy of history and the great succession of time in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's only one place you'll look to find life, and that's the cross. Jesus Christ said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Abraham looked forward to the cross and to the day of Christ, and Abraham was saved by faith, and he was justified by that faith. Moses, the great lawgiver, looked forward to the same cross, the same Christ, and he says the day is going to come when the Lord will raise up from among thy brethren. He'll be of the seed of Abraham. He'll be of the seed of David. He'll be the seed of the woman. He'll rise up, and when he comes, God says, I'll put my words in his mouth. And when I was reading that just a few moments ago, there was something that struck my mind, and I want to stop and give it to you here. Words, it's plural, not just words. He says, he'll put my words in his mouth. Beloved, you and I believe in the plenary inspiration. We believe that every word that Christ spoke was the word that God wanted us to have. And every word that the prophets and the apostles have given us was under divine inspiration. And that this inspiration extendeth to the choice of words used in the communication to us. We believe in verbal inspiration of the Scripture. And that is what's being laid aside and rejected in this new confession of 1967. They can't accept that anymore. But Moses said, the Lord will put his words in the mouth of this one, and then whatever he says unto you, you are to hear. And if you don't hear it, you'll be held accountable at the judgment bar of Almighty God. Moses looked forward to Christ. As a matter of fact, everyone in that succession from the day that Adam was told that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, everyone in that succession down through each generation looked forward, looked forward, looked forward to that day when there would come that one born of a virgin and he would bruise the head of the serpent and he would bring deliverance to Israel and this was the Messiah. Now we stand at this juncture in the course of human history and we look back to that same hour, that same cross, that same Christ, that same sacrifice, and we believe in that Christ to the saving of our souls just as Abraham believed in that Christ to the saving of his soul and just as Moses believed in that Christ to the saving of his soul. There has never been any other way of salvation than by grace through faith. Never. And any form of modern dispensationalism, any form of sectarian teaching which abounds today in so many of our cults, which seeks to divide up the teachings of the Scripture in these matters and give you some form of access to God in this dispensation different from another dispensation, just tell them, my friend, they don't know the Scripture. There has only been one way and one route and one path, 
And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that was just as true in the day of Abraham as it was in the day he spoke it. And it's just as true today as it was in the days of Moses or any other prophet of the Old Testament. Beloved, the throng in heaven that's going to sing of redemption will sing the same song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every nation and kindred and people and tongue. And you and I are going to stand before the Lamb washed in his blood. Abraham will stand before the Lamb washed in his blood. Moses will stand before the Lamb washed in his blood. Let's speak now about this church. And let me read to you from our own confession. Since they're laying it aside now in the other Presbyterian churches, I think maybe I ought to read from it a little bit more frequently to you. But let me read you what our own confession says about this church. This great company of the redeemed who've been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is, chapter 25, Westminster Confession. The Catholic Church or Universal Church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consisteth of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion together with their children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Beloved, you just can't be saved if you haven't been washed in the blood and if you haven't come into the kingdom of our Christ by the power of Jesus and by the Holy Ghost. Unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, the oracles, and the ordinances, we also call them the sacraments of God, for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world. And doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. Will you turn, please, to Acts chapter 7? We're just reading from it. Turn to this seventh chapter of the book of Acts and notice this text. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. The angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And as the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit is present in the New Testament church, 
and the ministry which we have, the Lord Jesus Christ was present in the church in the wilderness, and he was there to minister and honor the word that God gave to the prophets. Beloved, we're a peculiar people when the world looks at us, but we're not a peculiar people to ourselves. We're a very strange people when the world looks at us. We don't carry on like the world. We don't get drunk. We don't drink. We don't carry on like the world. We don't have the worldly pleasures they have. We don't frequent the places they go to. We have no interest in them. And the world turns around and says, what in the world is wrong with those people? They just work night and day trying to tell somebody about Jesus. What in the world besets those people? Look at that man. He's got a nice wife. He's got a nice house. He's got children. Well, they don't have any fun. No, they don't out and get drunk, and they're not running around with a wild crowd. They go over to church, and their young people are as clean and nice. Beloved, the world looks at us, and it can't understand this. It can't possibly explain us. They delight in the things which pertain to the flesh, and to the lust of the flesh, and to the pride of life. And they have in them the love of money, which is the root of the evil, is stimulating them to all manner of deceit and crookedness and all forms of, uh, of sin. And they look at these people and they find a certain contentment among them. And they're seeking to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. Beloved, the world looks at us and they says, where in the world did this sort of nonsense come from? But to ourselves, we're not peculiar. To ourselves, we're joined with a great host that goes back to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. And we're children of promise and we belong to a great revelation of God's purpose. How he's calling out a people for himself of every age and every generation and every nation. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither white nor black. All of us are united together at that cross and in that blood. And we've been cleansed and made the people of God by faith. And beloved, the greatest privilege, the greatest delight, the greatest possession that anyone on this earth can ever have is to be in Christ Jesus. That is it. Now getting back to this confession that I was reading to you, may I go a little further. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches at all, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. And you and I, thank God, are a part of the continuing succession, and I believe our very presence as a church and our very struggle in our century in the day in which you and I live falls under this paragraph so decidedly. Some have so degenerated as to become no churches at all. And your pastor has completed a book which is now in the hands of the printers. And when it's off the press, 19 chapters, I want every member of this church to read it. And you know what the title of it is? The Death of a Church. The Death of a Church. And this great confession says that God shall always maintain on this earth a church which will present his covenant and preach his word. 
Now let's turn to, to Romans first, the third chapter of Romans. Everyone turn in your Bibles, and I want to develop this for you. And then we'll move on into the Galatians passage together, and we'll see the solid substance of what I've just been expounding to you. Chapter 4, Romans. What shall we say then that Abraham our father was pertaining the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. And what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And beloved, I want to say to you people, if you're trying to work out your salvation, stop it. If you think for one moment that you can have anything good in your hands that you can present to God, forget it. Quit your trying. Quit your trying to work. Quit your trying to do anything. Look what we read here. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And if you're going to be saved, you must quit your works, quit trying to help yourself, quit trying to do anything. Just listen to the word, listen to the gospel, listen to the message of salvation, and believe it in your heart, and you'll be saved. And you'll be justified. And you'll be the child of God. Now let's go a little further, because he then speaks of David, even David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now, verse 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision? Or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. In other words, Abraham was saved before he got circumcised. He was saved. Circumcision, you know, didn't have anything to do with that. Circumcision was a sign of this covenant and the relationship which we sustain. But circumcision didn't save him. And in the New Testament dispensation, it's baptism that takes the place of circumcision. And you get... Saved not by your baptism. You get saved by faith. And then the apostle continues as he develops this, because I want to go just a little further with you in it. Verse 11. And he received the sign, that is Abraham, of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had, uh, yet being uncircumcised, yet that he might be the father of all them that believe, Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Now, Abraham was saved before he was circumcised, but after he was saved, he was circumcised. 
but the faith which Abraham preached will save every man everywhere, not on the basis of works or acts or deeds or circumcision, but wholly upon the basis of faith and faith alone. Oh, beloved, it's liberty to believe. It's liberty to be justified by faith and to know that your sins are pardoned and that you're a child of God. All right, let's read just a little further, because I want to get Moses in. Here he comes in in just a moment. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. But the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Beloved, Abraham's my father, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Beloved, don't you stagger for one minute when God says he'll raise you from the dead. He'll do it. Don't you stagger for one moment when he says the clouds are going to part and the Son of God is going to return in power and great glory. It's going to happen. Don't you stagger at one moment at what God says he's going to do for us and what he promises in his word for the people of God. Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. Verse 21, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. What God has promised, beloved, he's able to perform. And if you're lost in sin and your heart is full of darkness and misery and you're in a fog today, remember God has promised that if you believe in his Son, he will save you and he's able to perform it and to give to you everlasting life. What he has promised, he is able to perform. He staggered not and being fully persuaded. And verse 22, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake only that it was imputed, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if ye believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who del was delivered for our offenses. There's your cross and who was raised again for our justification. Beloved, Abraham looked forward to the cross. He knew that on that cross 
his offenses and his sin would be atoned. And he saw in Christ the resurrection of the dead. And Abraham believed God. And if you believe God like Abraham believed him, you'll be a child of Abraham. Now let's turn to the Galatian passage. Turn over, please, to the third chapter of Galatians. And here the apostle is developing the same identical theme along the same identical line. And in the third chapter of Galatians, in verse 6, we read, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Now I've just told you that if you're of faith, if you've been saved by faith, and you know that your faith in Christ has redeemed you, you're a child of Abraham. You go back beyond Moses. You, the Moses period in here, the giving of the law, you, you go way beyond that. You go back to the days when God spoke to Abraham. And Abraham believed God. We are tied in with Abraham. We are the children of Abraham. And Abraham became the child of God by faith. He believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. All right, now let's go a little further. Watch this development. And what saith the scriptures? Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And beloved, when I believe, and when I act on that belief, and I live in that belief, the same blessings that came on Abraham because he believed, they're on, they're on us too. What God gave to Abraham, God gives to us. And it's this marvelous faith that he's promised that we believe that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy hath he saved us and delivered us from the wrath to come. And oh, some of you young men and some of you young people listening to the pastor this morning, I've gotten into Acts 7. I've gotten into Deuteronomy 18. I've gotten into Ro to Romans 3. And now we're back over here in Galatians 3 and put these things together and forever get settled in your mind that as you believe, you believe like Abraham believed. And let's have the faith of Abraham. Let's be strong in faith and let's give that glory to God where it belongs. You can't save yourself. You can't work yourself into heaven. You can't get the knowledge and information and learning any place on the face of this earth which will pardon your sins. The only place where your sins can be pardoned and redeemed is on the cross of Calvary. Now let's go further. For as many as are, verse 10 it is, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
Oh, it's the Reformation text, beloved. There it is. And the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth upon the tree. And when Christ was nailed to that cursed tree, beloved, the curse of God fell upon him because of you and me, our disobedience. That the blessings, verse 14, of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Beloved, let's nourish our faith. Let's be built up in the faith. Let's delight in this faith. Let's ask the Spirit of God to give us faith. Oh, how I need it. Oh, how I want it. Oh, how I long for it in the place where God has put me today. Give us faith. Just the faith of a grain of mustard seed and we'll push the mountains aside. And God will do great things for his people. All right, look a little further. I won't expound the rest of this to you because you'll have all these mighty passages before you. Now verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of man. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannul it. You make a contract with somebody and you all sign it, you don't disannul that contract unless there's an agreement to justify it or provide it for it. Now... To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And here's divine revelation interpreting infallibly the promise that God gave to Abraham. His promise that in his seed all the nations should the earth be blessed was the promise that Christ would come. And the promise would be not in Abraham, the promise would be in Christ. The blessing would not be in Abraham. The blessing would be in Christ. All that Abraham would have to do with it would be faith. Christ would take care of all the glory and the grandeur of the fulfillment of these promises. So he says it was Christ. Now verse 17, And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God of Christ, the law, which was 430 years afterwards, cannot disannul that it should make the promises of none effect. In other words, here was Abraham, and then 430 years later, you get Moses with his law, but the law that Moses gave and everything Moses brought in no way disannulled or modified the promise which God gave to Abraham, which was that he would be saved by faith. And the proof of that is that Moses himself said, The Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee a prophet like unto me. Ye shall listen unto him. Ye shall believe what he says. Ye shall put your trust in him. And this is the Christ which was in the church in the wilderness. There he was. For if the inheritance be of law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Is the law then against the promises of God? No, God forbid. 
For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been of the law. Beloved, if God could have saved us without the sacrifice of his son, he would have done it. If there were any law, if there were any decree, if there were any order, if there was anything that the God of heaven could have done to remove the curse from your sins and freed you from the consequences of disobedience, it would have been done by law. But there was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Christ had to come. He was the gift of God's grace to us that he might pay the penalties for our transgressions and our disobedience and that we by faith might become the children of Abraham. Now I want to give you the final conclusion here. We'll have to close. But notice, if you will, toward the end of the chapter, verse 20. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one. Verse 29, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The church in the wilderness was the church of Christ. Members of that church became members by faith. The church in the New Testament is the church of Christ. They're bound together in a unity and a covenant tie which transcends the centuries. And God has given it to us. Beloved, when I talk to you about Moses, and you hear me take the book of Moses, and you say, oh, the pastor's going back to Deuteronomy this summer. Why doesn't he preach in the New Testament? Beloved, what's in the New Testament is in the book of Moses. And what's in the book of Moses is in the New Testament. And we are children of faith. We're children of Abraham. We're children of God. And may God give us the faith that Abraham had. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the church in the wilderness. We thank Thee that it was a part of us and we're a part of it. And The centuries don't disannul any of these things. Lord, thou dost want all mankind to know that it has always been by faith that men have been delivered. Always by faith they've been freed. Always by faith they've obtained the victory. Always by faith thou hast been pleased. Bless us now, for Christ's sake. Amen.